Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, on the Righteous Remnant Podcast this week, we have Chris Nye, who um, has been doing ministry over at ASU or in that area for the past 16 years doing prayer ministry over there. So Chris, um, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and having this discussion with me. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to be part of this. I'm excited to join you. Yeah, well, I would just love if you just start by telling us a little bit about your ministry. Tell me like uh, what you guys do and you know what your heart is in it. Yeah, so um, we actually began uh, 16 years ago, as you mentioned, um, as students, and we were um, just, you know, just um, uh, just had a heart to to see revival at Arizona State University, and we're just, you know, just got to just kind of put this this burning in our hearts to see uh, just something that that only he could do on the campus, and so we you know, we just began to get together. Uh, we began to. You know, pray for revival together every week. Uh, a group of you know five or six of us, and um, you know share um, testimonies of what God was doing on the campus. Trying to trying to just get a bigger picture of of what is the Lord uh, doing at ASU, and and how can we um, how can we kind of jump into what what He's inviting us into, you know. And um, and so uh, I remember you know just kind of over the course of a year, we were kind of growing together in, in a vision for revival and and just. Uh, you know, praying and crying out for God to move on on this generation, and uh, and I remember the first semester, you know, we, we felt led to do a, a 24 hours of prayer for the first time, and uh, and so um, the theme that the Lord was stirring in our hearts was uh, streams in the desert, rain in the dry land, and, and of course it makes sense in Arizona because we're a desert, you know, yeah. <laughs> and um, but um, but you know, the, the, God just kept impressing this theme on our hearts. And so I remember we started in the evening, we're praying into this, and the next day we're out on, on ASU campus, just kind of uh, yeah, out in the social center of campus on the lawn, and we feel led to start singing this song, Let It Rain. And so we start singing this song, and um, and, and literally as we're, as we're worshiping, as we're declaring uh, and singing this song, Let It Rain, uh, the biggest downpour of of rain we've ever seen in Arizona begins to fall in that moment wow. and, and, and just continues on for the rest of the day. And, and the wind is so strong that our tent almost blows away, you know, and, and we just took it as a sign that the Lord was, was hearing our prayers and he was beginning to move. And I remember the second semester, the Lord led us to do three days of prayer. Um, and then, you know, and seven days of, of, of 24 hour prayer. And, and, and to be honest, we, we barely made it through those seven days. And, and, you know, the last, three hours probably it was just checking our phones to see when we were done, you know, and, um, but we, we, you know, we barely made it through that. Um, but, you know, I, you know, just a little bit um, that um, I forgot to share kind of before I go on with the story is that I remember for three years uh, we'd been seeking the Lord about God, you know, how can we see a, a move of your spirit on this campus? Because we clearly felt the Lord calling us to ASU. We clearly felt the invitation that he wanted to send revival to this campus but in, in all of our experience for those three years leading up to this point, we, we, we literally felt that it was impossible for God to do anything on this campus because it was uh, so hard. It was so dark. Uh, I remember for the first three years that uh, the moment I would set foot on that campus, uh, every time I, I was there, from the moment that I was there until I left the property, I remember feeling such a heaviness and, and such an oppression in the spirit. Uh, 
I remember being bombarded with temptation constantly, uh, you know, every moment that I was on that campus. I, I remember the um, the levels of isolation and division and disunity in, in the ministries on the campus to where, you know, um, I, you know, I had Christian friends. I, I knew of other believers there. But I, I honestly felt like I was the only Christian on the campus for the, for the first three to three and a half years of, of being there. And, and so, so I knew God wanted to do something, but I remember just crying out through, you know, in that time, just wondering, Lord, how can you move on this campus? You know, it's so, you know, it's the number one party school in, in the nation. Uh, this was in 2005. Um, it was uh, known as a missionary's graveyard and a pastor's graveyard. Uh, a whole denomination warned their, their pastors and leaders not to try to plant anything on this campus because, because nothing ever grew there, you know, um, the um, I remember just the isolation that it was just it was so intense and and but but even when we would come together um, I remember this you know we'd have events together I remember just this sense that you know you still felt like you were completely isolated from everybody you know and, and there's something it was something in the atmosphere mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 the spiritual environment and so um so at that point where we began to come together there was really something significant that launched us out into that where we're uh, um, where the Lord very clearly began to to commission us and say like you know and assure us in our spirits that he was about to do something and so uh, and um, so you know so we're going out there we're stepping out in faith we're praying and God's starting to move um, and this is a, my junior year in college and um, and then you know so then the second semester we had three days of prayer for the first time during these three days um, I, you know we saw somebody get saved from a prayer meeting. And I remember, like, I didn't, I didn't know that was possible that somebody could could come to Christ just from a time of prayer. Mm-hmm. And so we were just totally amazed, like, oh my gosh, you know. And, and then we had seven days, and during the seven days, we um, a girl came who who had a um, her primary doctor had a, a told her that she had a, a textbook case of skin cancer, and they were testing her, and they but they were positive that they were they were, they were uh, you know positive that it was skin cancer, and they were walking her through all the things that she needed to do. Well, um, so, you know, she comes to the prayer tent, we end up getting a chance to pray for her and, and the presence of God falls so strong in that place. And, and we just, uh, you know, she said it was like electricity just, just hit her body and, and she just knew God was doing something. And the next day she gives us a call and she's in tears and, and the, the tests are negative and there's absolutely no skin cancer. Wow. And so, so we're just blown away. Like God is up to something that we've never seen, never seen on this campus. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, by the end of the seven days, we're tired. We barely made it through that. Um, and in the summer, we're seeking the Lord. And we feel like the Lord says uh, that he wants us to do a month of 24-hour prayer. And um, and he gives us, you know, confirmation. And so we launched into the, the third semester. And, and, and we launched out into 40 days of, of prayer. And at this point, there's about seven or eight ministries coming together now um, at ASU campus. And... Um, and so, you know, we're, we're praying, we're just stepping out in faith. The Lord uh, leads us to do uh, a 40-day fast, kind of to prepare the way and, and prepare our hearts to break the ground and everything. And so, you know, we launch out into this. And and I remember the first week, um, a man walks into the prayer tent. He's, it, it, you know, he's, uh, of course, you know, on campuses, you, you, you have a lot of young people, but you also have, you know, um, older people as well. And so we had a, a man who was probably in his 40s, um, walk into the prayer tent, and the first thing that he says is he says, he is, me and my sister are there, and he asks us, 
is there anybody here that I can talk to, maybe a counselor or somebody, because I'm planning on committing suicide. And, uh, and so we're just like, you know, we don't have no idea what to do, but we're just like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you. Yeah. And so we sit down and I remember um, he just starts opening up about how, um, you know, he, he just doesn't feel like there's any point to living. He has gotten back into drinking. He's, you know, um, he's, he's been kicked out of, out of his family's house, you know, his wife and his kids have, have kicked him out because of that. And, uh, and so he just doesn't, feel like there's anything left to live for and um and so we just start encouraging him we start loving on him just say hey like god god loves you uh you know this 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 void in your you know this this emptiness in your heart only only jesus can fill it and so um so we're just encouraging him and, and at this point he's he's like well what should i do um should i you know should i start reading the bible and and we said you know well that would, that would be great but you know you can actually if you if you well, pray with us right now. Like God will actually come into your life and like, he'll begin to fill your heart and just change your life. At that point, he's getting really uncomfortable. And he's like, you know, Hey guys, thank you so much. I, I, I got to go now. And so he's getting ready to go. And and we said, wait, wait, and before you go, can we just pray for you? And so he's like, okay. And so, you know, we put a hand on the shoulder, we start praying for him. And again, the, the, the presence of God just comes down in such a powerful way. Uh, like, like we're just, you know, we're, we're like, what is going on right now? And so we're praying for him and we're just, you know, breaking things off and, and praying for an encounter. And uh, at the end of it, we ask him, you know, how are you feeling right now? And, uh, and he says, you know, he says, you know, the craziest thing happened while you guys were praying for me, I felt all of that sadness and, and all of that heaviness just lift off of me yeah. in a moment. Yeah. And he's like, and I feel really good right now. Like, I feel like I'm just, like, I feel really light. I feel like I'm just like floating, you know, and like, and uh, I just, and, and so I'm like, wow, awesome. Praise God, you know? And so, so, you know, one minute he's like in tears, he's crying, he has no hope. The next minute he's just like, like a total night and day difference. Mm-hmm. And then, at, at, and then as he's about to leave the tent, he says, you know, thank you guys so much for praying for me. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. And he walks off. <laughs> and, and so we're just blown away. Like, like what just happened? You know, I did, did God just save a guy from suicide? You know, and, and we, so we're just blown away. We're in awe of, of whatever God is doing. Um, later that night, uh, God ends up doing a similar thing. And another girl, uh, we find out, you know, at the end of it, we found out that another that God rescues another girl uh, from committing suicide that night, uh, which we had no idea. But we just started praying for her. She just starts weeping. And and, and we found out at the end of the, the 40 days that, that, that we had prayed everything that was going on in her life. Uh, having no idea who she was, you know, and, and, um, but anyway, so, so that happens the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, the next week we're, 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 we, we, uh, you know, we're come, had come together, we're praying, we're worshiping. There's about 20 of us now getting together weekly and just crying out for revival, um, you know, praying for God to move on this campus. Mm-hmm. And as we're praying, the Holy Spirit takes over the prayer meeting and uh and and suddenly like like people are praying with like with this passion that we've never heard them pray with before and uh, and all of a sudden uh, you know um people are 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 weeping over the over the campus and over this generation and and um i remember this girl uh had fallen on her knees and she was on her knees and 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 you know so i'm in worship and she all of a sudden you know taps my kind of taps my shoulder starts trying to get my attention and she's like you know chris chris and I'm like, what, you know, what's going on? And she said, you know, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm shaking. 
I'm like, I'm crying, you know, trembling, I'm crying. I can hardly breathe and I have no idea why mm-hmm. I'm scared. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I said, I, I think that's the Holy spirit. I think that's Jesus is, is moving. Just, just keep worshiping, keep praying. And she's like, okay. You know? And, <laughs> and so she's on her knees, you know, crying, trembling. It happens to the next person, the same thing. And then, and then, and the Holy spirit just takes over the prayer meeting and, 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 and keep in mind, like, like we're not indoors, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're like outdoors in a tent out in the middle of, 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 you know, the largest college campus in the nation, very hostile, very like closed, you know, I mean, uh, uh, for that the whole year leading up to this point, people stared at us like we were crazy every time we were out there. Mm-hmm. And and so if you've ever felt that sensation of, of people, someone's eyes burning into you and just like staring at you from somewhere, <laughs> just, yeah. just imagine like hundreds of, of, of eyes like burning into you while you're trying to pray yeah. and trying to do something for God out on the campus. It was very, very awkward, very um, uncomfortable. Oh yeah. And, yeah. We honestly, we didn't want to be outside. We, we were, we were trying to find a, an indoor room to pray mm-hmm. and they, and they, there was no rooms indoor that indoors 24 hours that they would allow us to pray in. Yeah. So that, that was the only, the only thing we could do. Yeah. But, um, and so, so all this is happening and God is just doing something crazy in the campus and, and, and just this boldness is coming over us. And I remember at a certain point, um, spontaneously, I, I don't think we even planned this uh, to the best of, of my memory. I don't think anyone planned this, but we all started shouting at the top of our lungs all of a sudden. And we all started just declaring over the campus, you know, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is victorious. You know, Jesus is, is Lord and just declaring the victory of uh, of Christ over ASU for like 20 minutes. Like, like, mm-hmm. like 20 students are just like shouting and we're just declaring, you know, Jesus is victorious. Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And, and I remember about 20 minutes into it, it was like all of a sudden, like the atmosphere just shifted over ASU campus. It was, it was like the, the heavens just opened and all of a sudden people were, were stopping dead in their tracks staring at us and like like wondering like like but it was different it was like instead of looking at us like we were crazy it was like they were longing for whatever was happening inside this prayer tent and and, but they had no grid for what it was but they just knew something was happening yeah and um and i remember there was a shift that took place over the campus in that moment and um and from from that moment on for the next for the next six years it was it was like the heavens were just open over ASU and and I remember I remember like from that moment on we we began to hear just testimonies and stories of of you know people being supernaturally drawn into this prayer tent you know uh, we began to hear stories of um of people on their way to the student union uh, looking for something to eat you know and and, and while they're on their way to the, the student union God uh, would supernaturally redirect their footsteps into the tent. And all of a sudden they, they, they have no idea what this is, why they're there. And they're just like crying. And they're like, what is this place? Like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people are, you know, students are praying for them. They're sharing Jesus. Um, I remember hearing, uh, you know, testimonies of, uh, um, you know, just that, that first semester of, you know, um, atheists coming into the prayers had agnostics, you know, um, yeah. uh, writing prayers on the, on the, on the whiteboards, just in case God's real. You know, we began to hear stories of, of, of um you know uh freshman students seeing people walk by on on crutches and and with casts on their you know broken bones and and these freshman students chasing them down praying for healing and god supernaturally healing them you know um 
people coming to Christ. Uh, we, we begin to hear stories of, of uh, in every ministry of people coming to Christ just so, like suddenly, you know, like, like I think it was like the next week we heard of, like, you know, we're hearing reports of three students get saved at Navigators. And then, then we're hearing reports of students getting saved at InterVarsity and then, you know, Chi Alpha. And, um, uh, you know, I remember, I remember um, there, there, there was such a, a a shift over the there's such a boldness that came over us that suddenly you know uh, the people that would never talk to anybody normally just just shy uh you know um uh you know uh, yeah just just normally just very very quiet people are like chasing people down asking asking you know can i pray for you you know uh, um you know I, I remember um you know <clears throat> i remember during that time uh, you know, and Muslims were being drawn in. Uh, I remember during that time we heard this this story of a, an atheist who was reading a Christian book, mm-hmm. and um, and while while he's reading this 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 Christian book, the words became three dimensional as he's like reading it, just supernatural encounter. Like, like the words become three dimensional right in front of him, and uh, and he he's so freaked out that he ends up giving his life to Christ, and uh, and we we end up finding out that he was the the president of the atheist club at ASU campus. And, and, wow. and so, you know, as a result, he has to let, you know, step down from his position of, of being the president. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, he ends up hanging out at the Christian club tables every single day. Yeah. You know, and, and I had a friend who like, who, you know, I mean, it was crazy. So, so at first we didn't know if like, is this a true story, but, but my friend went and he interviewed him and sure enough, there's like, this really happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, then we begin to hear stories of, um, you know, uh, you know, I remember, you know, we, uh, during this time, I remember the Lord invited us to, um, to, to just to pray the craziest prayers that we could possibly like, like almost like this invitation from the Lord, like ask me, ask me anything and, and like, believe me to do it yeah. and like, and, and like, and, and watch me do it, you know? And, and so I remember this one semester, um, we, we were trying to, we just felt this invitation, like, what's the craziest thing? That we could possibly ask God to do at, at, on campus, and so I remember during that time, the the thing that, that God began to put on my heart to pray for was I said, okay, Lord, like, like you know, Lord, would you just begin to uh, move on the hearts of students that are suicidal, that are depressed, that are high on drugs and drunk, you know, uh, while they're in their dorm rooms without anybody talking to them, without anybody preaching to them or sharing anything. Like, would you just begin to encounter students in the dorm rooms, you know, and 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 just bring them to Jesus? Yeah. And so, so I remember we we just um, had the faith. We just started praying for it, you know, and and just praying that God would move. And and I think I think I remember this this. I think it was the fall semester. We you know we 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 prayed into this, and just believed in faith. God was going to move. And then in the spring we began to hear testimonies of, of God answering these prayers. And so I remember the, there's a, um, especially in, in a, the course of a few weeks, I remember there were three testimonies that really stood out to me during this time. Um, one of them was a, a, a international student who said that, who just happened to be commenting to one of the student leaders. She said, Hey, you know, I've, uh, I've I, I don't know why I've always been depressed all of my life. And, and, but uh, ever since I, I've been at ASU, I, I'm just not depressed anymore. And the student leader tells her, well, it's, it's actually because Jesus is here on this campus. And she's like, Oh, you know, that makes sense. You know, and, <laughs> and then, you know, remember hearing another story of a young man who, um, you know, isn't in his dorm room and he's on the verge of, of just total, like, like, you know, he's isolated. He's, he's depressed. 
he's, he's literally on the verge of total despair. He's about to cross that threshold. And all of a sudden he, he hears this thought come to his mind. He's not a believer. He hears this thought, call on God. And, uh, and, and he's, and he's just kind of like shocked by it, but he's, he decides to do it. So he calls on God and immediately the, the depression and the despair just lift off of him and he's, he's totally fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow. a few weeks later, somebody shares the gospel with him and he, uh, he ends up giving his life to Jesus. And, uh, and then, and then he ends up at the prayer, the prayer uh, gathering telling us the story that, uh, that happened to him and, and, and we're just blown away. Wow. Um, but one of my favorite stories that, that, ha- that came from that time was um, there was a freshman student who um, was, was having a party in his dorm room. He grew up in the church, but, um, but like so many in, in college campuses, you know, the, the statistic right now is that, that 75 to, to 80% of students who grow up in the church end up falling away from the Lord during their, their college years, you know, and, and, and a lot of them during their freshman year. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I just remember, um, so, so he grew up in the church, but he, he totally turned his back on God and he was partying, drinking high, you know, just everything, you know, um, yeah. everything you can think of, you know? And so, so he's having a party in his dorm room. He's high on mushrooms and, uh, with uh, all of his friends, you know? And so, um, and so in the middle of his partying, uh, in this dorm room, he begins to hear a voice that says, my word will not return void my word will not return void. And he, he keeps hearing this, this audible voice that's saying this, my word will not return void. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, he's, he's like, he's thinking, this is the drugs like this. Is, you know, I'm just, I'm just going crazy right now, mm-hmm. but he can't, he can't shake this voice. And so, so he, he still has a Bible. So he pulls a Bible off of his shelf and he says, okay, God, like on the small chance that this might be you, I'm just going to open up this Bible. And, 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 you know, and if the first thing that I, that I, that my eyes land on uh, is relevant to my life, then I'll know that this is you and, and that you're really real and, uh, and you're trying to get my attention. But, um, but if, if I open this Bible and, uh, and the first thing that I look at, you know, if there's nothing that's relevant to my life, I'm just going to, uh, I'm just going to um, live my life and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And, and I'm basically going to turn my back on you, you know, <laughs> like, like from here on out and stuff. And so, so he, he, he opens the Bible to the book of Amos and, uh, and he's grown up in the church long enough to know that in his mind, this, this is how he's, he's, he describes it. He said, I, I, gr- I grew up in the church long enough to know that God could never speak to me through the book of Amos, wow. you know, but, um, but he starts reading it. And before long, everything he's reading is, is like piercing his heart because it's all about, you know, um, this is what's like return to me return to me. And if you don't return to me, this is what's going to happen, you know, and if you don't return to me and basically the, like what God began to speak to him as he's reading Amos is, is basically this, this message that, that, you know, that I'm real, but you're living as if I'm not. And now if, if you don't return to me, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And so at that point, such a conviction falls over him that he, he, he's, he just doesn't even know what to do with himself anymore. And so he, he gets so agitated and, and, um, in his heart that he actually abruptly ends the party, kicks everybody out of his dorm room. And he, and he ends up waiting three or four hours until he's completely sober and, and off the drugs, you know, off the high. And, and, and now it's about, you know, um, I think he said, it was, I think it was about 5am at this point, you know, and he, 
he gets on his face and he just starts weeping and he just starts repenting and, and he, he surrenders and he says, God, I'm done. Like you, you can have my life. Like I, I surrender, I repent of my sins, you know, and he's just crying out to the Lord uh, in his dorm room at 5 a.m. And he said, um, as he's crying out to the Lord, he encounters the presence of the Lord for the first time in his life. And, 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 and he said for the first time in his life, like, like the Holy Spirit comes into his room and, 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 and fills him. And he said that, that, that for the first time in his life, he felt clean. He just felt completely washed of all of his sins. Yeah. And, and, and then like, and then just this joy begins to overtake his heart. And so now, and so now he's just like, now is, you know, he's, he's just doesn't know what to do with himself. He's overwhelmed with joy. He's, he feels clean, forgiven for the first time in his life. And, 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 and now he's just, he's just so happy. He doesn't know what to do, what to do with himself. And so he starts cleaning up his dorm room, you know, at five twenty, five thirty AM. And, and, uh, and he ends up becoming a leader in the prayer movement at ASU and, 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 and so many other people, uh, I mean, so many people end up encountering the Lord through this, this one student that, 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 uh, became the answer to this prayer, you wow, know, and, yeah. and, um, and so many other things happened, but it was just this amazing season of, of, of revival and just just uh, a move of the spirit that came in from from just this simple um you know uh just hunger and desperation just this crying out of students from different ministries just longing for the presence of god and honestly not knowing what to look for not knowing what this what would happen if we did but just believing that that god that that, that if we could get a hold of heaven and if we could get a hold of the presence of god that everything could change and, and sure enough um just uh, the Lord did incredible things during this time. And, and uh, you know, um, to the, to this day, we, we still hear testimonies and stories of, of things we, ne- we never knew happened during that time. And, and people look back on it and they say, you know, there's something special about that season. Like God was really on our campus, you know, and he was really doing something with all the ministries that, that, you know, um, and so, so that, that was kind of how the Lord began this prayer movement. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much for telling me about all the, um, you know, all the testimonies. And what I hear clearly from you is, you know, you have this conviction that because you guys are praying that God is doing stuff on the campus and he's moving on the campus. And, um, you know, I think um, one of the things that I have been grieved about is that it just seems like most college fellowships have lost like the priority of prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush because, you know, like I haven't seen all the fellowships that are out there. Um, but I've seen a lot. <laughs> like yeah. uh, I did ministry for quite a long time um, at Berkeley and um, I've been involved in, you know, a number of campus ministries all throughout California. And yet it just doesn't seem like there's a very strong priority for prayer. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I think that's true. And, and I think, um, you know, I remember, um, the, the, the way the Lord actually first got a hold of my life was was through a, a prayer conference um, mm-hmm. called Prayerquake here here in Arizona back mm-hmm. in 2000 you know and I remember hearing the stories of revival and for the you know I mean I grew up in the church I grew up in Christian school I grew up in in you know I went to multiple you know churches youth groups um, and just my dad became a pastor at a very young age and and, and you know, just being immersed in, in everything Christian all of my life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and yet um, there came a point when I was about 16, where 
where I just came to the end of myself, where I, I was, I, I realized I was just completely dead on the inside. You know, I was completely dry and, and, you know, I, I would try to pray and like, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't pray. I would, I, I would try to hear God's voice and I would just fall asleep, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, I would, you know, didn't have a desire to read the Bible. I, I just, it, it was like, I never doubted that God was real, but, but I just couldn't see where he was or what he was doing. I couldn't hear his voice. And they just, I just felt completely just, you know, I was struggling with sin. I was just dead on the inside, you know? And then I, I remember when I, when I first began to hear stories of revival and, and the stories of, of what God has done throughout history, you know, of just people who were so, had such a passion for the Lord that it just consumed, you know, it just became this all consuming fire in, in their hearts. You know, mm -hmm. when I heard the, the stories of people who, who were so in love with God that they were willing to sell themselves into slavery to, to reach people who would never hear, uh, hear about Jesus. And they hear the stories of people who would buy coffins and put all their belongings in it. And, and as a sign, they were never coming back. I just remember something burned in my heart and I was like, God, like whatever they have, like, I want that. Like, I, that's yeah. what, I, that's what I need, you know? And yeah. like, I, I've grown up in church all my life, but I've never heard of passion for you, you know? And, and, and that kind of, uh, you know, something that marks your life. And, and I remember that night they invited people, they invited uh, young people to come to the front. It was a mega church and the whole altar was filled with young people. All of us just crying out to the Lord, like, God, give us that kind of passion, you know? And, yeah. and I remember God answered, he gave it to me, you know, and, yeah. and it changed my life from that point on. Um, but, but one thing I'll just say, uh, just in what, what you're saying is that, um, I remember when God first got a hold of my heart, he really marked me with evangelism to share the gospel. And, and really to the point where I was almost never with my family when, you know, we'd be out at dinner and I would, I would just be out talking to somebody else at another booth or another table because I had yeah. such passion to like yeah. see people come to know Jesus. And, and then this happened, this, you know, this continued for a few years, but, but I remember in the midst of that, the Lord actually began to, to draw me, especially back to the place of prayer. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason why is because, you know, the Lord began to impress on my heart that, you know, if, if you're an evangelist and you're on fire, like that's, that's, that's important. That's vital, you know, but, but, but what would happen if, but, but what the Lord began to show me is that the church, uh, the church was, is sick, you know, and that the church is, 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 is broken and in need of, of, of the fire and, and the, the, you know, the, the fire of God on us. And if the church were to get healed and set on fire, like then it would actually multiply you by, by 50 or a hundred or, you know, or, yeah. or, you know, or a thousand, you know, who knows. Yeah. Um, and so the Lord, Lord really began to draw me back to the place of prayer that, that when you look throughout history, every great move of revival and evangelism and missions always came first from the place of, of, of prayer. Right. In the place of the spirit pouring out and, and in fact so much so that one revivalist in history i believe it's during the student volunteer missions movement he said that the history of evangelism and missions is exactly the same as the the, the history of prayer and, and revival right that, that the only time missions and evangelism has ever advanced is when prayer and revival first took place right i totally agree i mean Chris, I've been I've been super grieved about the state of so many of these um, campus ministries because these campus ministries, for the most part, have a strong history in mission, right? Mm -hmm. Like you look at Campus Crusade for Christ; they're called Crew these days. Um, you know, their founder Bill Bright had an incredible passion for prayer and for fasting. Yeah. You know, I think I, I heard he went on five forty-day fasts in his life. 
He said that fasting is the most important of Christian disciplines, right? This is Bill Bright. Um, and you look at InterVarsity, right? Obviously, they have incredible uh, history in the student um, volunteer movement. Um, and then, you know, a lot of these Korean groups like, you know, um, KCM, right, or things like that. They're, you know, the, the Korean church um, has been such champions of missions in the past generation and that's because I think first they were champions of prayer, right? Like in you know I come from the Korean Church. We have a strong tradition of morning prayer, where every morning you get up and you and you pray and you intercede. Um, but I'll tell you, as a Korean pastor, I'm only half Korean, but as a as a half Korean pastor, I'll tell you that um, that devotion is not passing down to this generation mm. for morning prayer. It's not and. When I look at most of these Korean um, campus fellowships now, um, what I see is I see that they're desperately holding on to their heritage of missions, right? So they still try and do summer missions programs, um, but a lot of them have lost like their passion and their fire because I think they're they're inter- in, in, they're intricately connected, right? Yeah. If you're devoted to prayer, you get his burden. And that naturally leads you to passion for mission. I think that you can't separate one from the other. But what I feel, feel like is happening is when when these ministries lose their heart for prayer, slowly what starts to happen over time is they start to lose their heart for mission. And then other things start to take that place. And that's really interesting. You brought up the student volunteer movement. Um, that's exactly what happened in the history of the student volunteer movement where you had um, – you know, half the movement, the, the the leadership was was led by the YMCA, right? Mm-hmm. And they started getting more influenced by a lot of liberal theology, a lot of like, hey, you know, these ideas that became popular in seminaries, like, why do we need to evangelize to people, right? Like, you know, like, shouldn't we just help the poor? Shouldn't we just love people? Shouldn't we honor their culture instead of trying to destroy it with, with westernization or something like that? And, um, and in that movement, that sentiment really started to kill that movement the student volunteer movement and it became increasingly divided and i'll just say that because i see i feel like the same thing is happening today where a lot of these ministries and i was involved with intervarsity for um three years when i was in college but i'll tell you like when i was at intervarsity there was very little talk about mission it was mostly about social justice and this was back in the early 2000s when i was there and the thing was social justice to them was mission right it's like our mission is social justice, and the way that we define that is it was a lot about helping the poor and then tell them about Jesus, right? And at that time, I was like, "Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm down with that," you know. But what I can what I can see is that uh, one begins to replace the other, right? And that's what you see in a lot of these movements where it becomes more about helping the poor, more about loving the lost, or you know, loving the loveless, or something like that then standing for a biblical understanding of of missions, meaning we're trying to save people not from poverty, not from, you know, um, their depression, although those are important too. Like, we we hope that they come out of those things too. But really the heart is we're trying to save them from sin and from hell, right? Like, that's, it doesn't, you know, if if we bring someone out of poverty, that's that's good. But if they go to hell... That's mm-hmm. a limited benefit, right? Our, we yeah. want to save them eternally, and um, yeah. and I say that to say because I feel like I see a lot of these campus ministries starting to shift their focus, and you know this has been happening for a lot, you know. But I go to a lot of campus ministries and they're dead, mm-hmm. they're dead. 
Like, you can't hardly feel the presence of the Lord. There's very little in the way of passion. There's very little in the way of real devotion to Christ. And instead, what I see is it tends to be a greater focus on things like social justice, things like equity, where they, they fit in very well with a lot of worldly cultural values, but they've lost a lot of the fire for prayer and for mission. I don't know. That's what I feel like I've seen. And, you know, I'm, I'm here on the West Coast, you know, in California. I don't know. Is it, do you see similar things out at ASU or at other campuses that you've been part of? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one thing that, that I'll say kind of, uh, you know, that I think you're really hitting on something, you know, is that um, on a few things, you know, I think, I think one, um, anytime that the, the, that we, we try to walk out the commands of God, um, but in the wrong priority, in the wrong order, um, it, it will, um, it will, uh, you know, it, it's actually a dangerous thing to walk out. Uh, cause, cause I, what I hear you saying is that, you know, there's a lot of people are catching the vision to, um, to serve others, to, to help those in need, to engage in some form of social justice. And, 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 and the Lord, you know, the Lord's heart is for justice. But what happens is, is we begin to, we make the mistake of trying to walk out the second great commandment of love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and we, we put that as the highest priority over the first great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all yeah. your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know? And, and so what happens is, is when we, when we get just even that subtle, uh, you know, uh, uh, switching of priorities of those commandments can actually make of a, a world of a difference, you know? For and, sure. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think that one of the things I'm hearing too, that you're saying is, and I think this is really critical is, you know, when we look at, you know, even when we go back to the very beginning, how, how was the church birthed, you know, in, in the book of Acts and, and because you see, you see what, what the disciples were like, um, before, before the outpouring of the Holy spirit, you know, you see how there wasn't even a boldness to for Peter to testify before a slave girl that he was with Jesus, you know, right. um, he, all the disciples scattered, everybody, you know, not just Peter, every, every, almost every disciple betrayed Jesus in a sense, you know, and it's, and that, that's just kind of our state apart from the power of the Holy spirit. But then you see, you see when they, they tarried in Jerusalem and they waited for the outpouring of the Holy spirit and, and just that one event when the spirit was poured out, suddenly 3000 are saved, you know, right. suddenly everything, the world begins to be flipped upside down by, um, by the power of the Holy spirit, you know? Right. And, and, uh, and so, so I, I think what happens though, is you, you see that, that um, apart from the, the outpouring and the power of the Holy spirit upon us and, and apart from the priority of, of Jesus being our everything and, and, and truly being our, our one pure and holy passion apart from that, like, how much can we really accomplish in our own strength and in our own gifts and our own, you know, and, and I think that's what we're seeing right now. And I, I think, I think it's, it's unfortunately, it's not just, uh, you know, I, I think it really is kind of a commentary on the state of the church in America right now. And, and but you do see it on the, uh, um, with, with the campus ministries also. And, and you know, and I have seen, uh, I have seen that, that trend of, of what you're saying of, of really kind of uh, getting pulled into um, social justice, you know, and, and um, in fact, actually, um, it, it's actually a popular thing, even, um, you know, for uh, believers and, and unbelievers, it's, it's, it's something that anybody and everybody can do. If you do it, like you, you, you become popular, you know, you, everybody will high five you and, 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 you know, everybody will, will think you're awesome, you know, 
Um, but, but it's like you said, it's, it's like, um, uh, and, and I think that is the danger that we're, we're uh, that many ministries are making right now is that we're, we're airing on the side. We're, we're very much kind of putting all of our eggs into that, into that, that, uh, or throwing everything into meeting the temporary needs of people while actually neglecting their eternal needs, you know, that we're, because, because, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, in a sense, to, um, you know, to do something, you know, nice for someone or to, to help somebody for a day, you know, or to, um, to feed, to feed the poor, you know, it's, it's, I mean, not that everyone does it, not that it's easy, you know, but, but it is easier to feed the poor and then to say, God loves you than it is to, to tell them about their eternal condition and to tell them that, that if you continue on the path that you're, that you're presently on right now, like you're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. And actually that actually takes a, a lot more love and it takes a supernatural love from heaven to be able to do that, you know, to be able to, to tell somebody like that, that, um, that, you know, you're, you're on a path that's, that's leading you to destruction. Like you, you're, you're on the path that's going to lead you to eternal, uh, eternal fire, you know, separation from God. And like, and, and I love you so much that like, I don't even care if you reject me right now. I don't even care if you never want to talk to me again, because like, because I, the, the love of God compels me to, to see your, just to, to, to not just love your, your physical needs right now, but to love your soul eternally. Right. right. Yeah. Cause it, it's, it's a very different worldview, right? When we're talking about helping the poor, you can have a humanistic worldly worldview and see merit in that, right? Everybody sees merit in helping the poor. Um, we might define some of those things a little differently, but when you're talking about saving a soul from hell, now you're talking about a very biblical Christian worldview and the, the influence of the world on the church is such that many churches don't emphasize that stuff anymore. And look, I, I just want to say this to students who are out there. In my, This is my opinion. I don't think you should go to a church or a ministry that doesn't have a strong prayer culture. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that bluntly. Or if you're part of something, you need to find somewhere, somewhere that has a strong prayer culture and be involved with that community. Because I, I say this because I've seen so many believers over time. You can't you can't sustain passion for the kingdom. Yeah, you can't sustain um, like real vision and growth in the Lord without a strong prayer culture. And I say this because I know a lot of people that just you know went to various campus fellowships, and I'll tell you, very few of those people are walking seriously with the Lord today. Your faith. A lot of people they they either fall away from the faith. Or they just settle in for like a nominal Christian life. But you've got to have a prayer culture that is serious, right? Um, in order to really thrive in the Lord in my experience. Mm-hmm. And and I say that because, look, when I was in college, I was part of InterVarsity. They didn't have a strong prayer culture, but I had a prayer group. And as part of a prayer group, we met, you know, three, four times a week to pray for revival. And look, and, and that was my real community. Right, it wasn't official. We didn't have. We weren't part of a denomination. We were just a bunch of hungry students who were coming together to pray for revival. But I'll tell you, that's that's a better fellowship than like ninety nine percent of fellowships that I see out there. And look, we didn't we didn't have a theologically trained leader. And I'll just tell you, there are weaknesses to that. <laughs> All right, I'm not saying like I wish we would have had some better theology theological training. Um, but I am saying, it, it. look, if we're talking about priorities, like having a strong prayer culture is like 
in my opinion, an essential. You have to have that. And I feel for a lot of students because they don't have that expression on their campus or they don't know where to get that. And I, I, I feel for them because I'm like, man, it is so hard to grow in the Lord without that type of a strong prayer culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think, I think you know, um, what you're hitting on also is that, you know, it's, it's, it's just reality that it's, you know, as believers, um, you know, it's essential that we encounter God, that we yeah. encounter the presence of God, you know, just, I mean, my testimony, I grew up 16 years immersed in everything that, that church culture has to offer. And yet I was, I was dead the whole time, you know, like I was, a you know, I maybe have moments where God started to bring me to life a little bit, but I, I was, I was just completely dead on the inside, you know, I was struggling with the world, struggling with sin, you know, and, yeah. and it wasn't until I encountered the Lord that one time, you know, when I was 16, that like it, it changed everything for me. Cause, cause all of a sudden after that, I went from not being able to see God or, or hear his voice or no, I had no idea what God was doing in my life or in the world around me to suddenly I could see God in everything, you know, yeah. like I could hear his voice. I, I, I felt his presence for the first time. And I just, I just began to be immersed in that and, 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 you know, and not even knowing like, you know, is, you know, not even knowing like, like, what does this mean for me? You know, I just, I just remember like, I just got so hungry for the presence of God that I remember that summer I would go into my room and I'd be like, God, like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but like, you know, I I just know that I'm I'm desperate for you and I need you and I need your presence. And so I would just, I just break out my guitar and I'd be like, so I'm not really sure what to do, but Holy spirit, would you come and would you meet me here in this place? Yeah. And every time he would come and, and he would, he would meet me in that place just as powerfully as the ways I used to encounter him at youth camps, you know, and just the, as powerfully as the times that I would, you know, that when I first really encountered him in, in that, that prayer quick gathering mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and it's essential because we talk about, we talk about like, you know, this is this, we talk about it being a relationship with God, but how can you have a relationship with, with somebody that you never you know, encounter and spend time with. And, you know, um, you know, that the relationship is, is more than just, you know, an exchange of ideas, you know, um, intellectually, but it is, you know, relationships are an experience and God has has called us to walk in, in, in the living reality of experience with him, you know, and, and, and just to encounter him, to hear his voice, to, to see God do things that only God can do in our life. And, and I mean, you, you have that kind of relationship with God and like every day becomes an adventure every day becomes, you know, um, uh, exciting and becomes, you know, like, like, you know, you're on the edge of your seat. Like, what is God going to do uh, today? What is God going to do this week? Yeah. You know, um, I, you know, it's just, everything changes when, when, when God becomes real in your life. And, and, I, and, you know, I, I think also that's, that's unfortunately the, the thing that we also see is, is that um, you know, maybe, maybe our, our parents have encountered the Lord, you know, like in a lot of them um, that like you mentioned, you know, Korean churches. And I, I know that this is something that I, I've, uh, I've seen and I've heard a lot is that that you know because because there was a revival that came uh, in Korea and in, 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 in our parents' generation. There's a lot of um, you know uh, maybe those that that you know have grown up in, in uh, or you know from the older generation in Korean churches that are on fire that have a passion for prayer that have a heart to see God move. Yeah. But but unfortunately, like um, but but their encounter isn't going to be enough for the next generation. Like like right. you know. 
this young generation can't live, we can't live off of our parents, uh, you know, encounters with the Lord or, or their walk with the Lord. Like we have to have our own encounter with Jesus, you know, yeah. and, and only then can we, can we have the fire to then, you know, to then take that torch and, 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 and see a movement in, in this day and this, this generation. And, and, and I think, I think, unfortunately, um, you know, we've, um, you know, we, we haven't, we haven't, um, I don't know. We, we just, we just haven't um, uh, provoked to this next generation to seek the Lord and, and to, to really experience him and encounter him for themselves. You know, and I, I think now is that time that we, we need that. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned, you know, uh, that stat that about 75% of Christians lose their faith in college. I've heard slightly different variations of that, but largely the same, you know, idea that, the vast majority of Christians are losing their faith in college. And, um, you know, as somebody who, you know, both of us have done campus ministry for quite a while, I'll just say, like, um, number one, parents are sending their kids into a spiritual war zone that, for the most part, their kids are completely unprepared for, right? And, like, I don't know exactly why. Well, I I have some idea why, right? They, they, because they're thinking about their career first, usually and um but parents don't understand what it's like on these college campuses my college my college we had co-ed bathrooms when i was in the dorms as a freshman at berkeley right literally you're showering with with next to girls like you're sharing you know you're saying the same bathroom area like everything's co-ed. this was back in 2000 right wow. they were doing this stuff wow. and um and now it's a different beast right like you have to understand any evangelical Christian on a college campus, there's going to be intense pressure, intense pressure to abandon what is considered an archaic, antiquated worldview, right? There's going to be intense, um, you know, they're going to have to contend with college professors who are, in many cases, outright hostile to evangelical faith. You're going to have to contend with peer pressure, incredible temptation, right? Parties, like, it is literally like the if you want to create the perfect place to kill somebody's faith, yeah. send them to a 21st century American university, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and that and that's what we're seeing in the numbers. That's what we're seeing in the numbers. And so it's to me it's kind of amazing that so many Christian parents continue to send their kids to colleges like, "Oh yeah, of course, of course I'm going to send my kid to college." And I I to me, it look, Chris, I'm just going to share honestly. I feel like it's one of the most unloving things you can do your kid right now if you love your child and you just blindly send them to college you don't understand what you're doing to them you're putting them in one of the most compromised situations ever and and i and i say this you know i know there are lots of christian parents who are concerned about this type of thing and they're sent they're trying to send them with strong hope that they can thrive in their spiritual walk in college but i'll just say the most the majority of christian parents it's a reflection of their own worldview right it's a reflection of their own nominal christian status right that they're not serious about their faith they're not that serious about their kids faith and that what's more important to them is their career and look that's the case for most of the kids that go to college christian kids that go to college we've equipped them with such a poor biblical worldview that career is first in uh, in priority that's the reason they're going they're going to they're going to universities to get a degree for their career and they're paying tens of thousands of dollars for it they're giving entire years of their life and i I just got to back up and say hey christian parents christian parents right Mm -hmm. 
why? Why are we not why are we not sending our kids to a four-year YWAM program? Mm-hmm. I mean, just play this mind, you know, this brainstorm game with me. Like Mormons send their kids for two years to full-time missions after high school. Mm-hmm. But Christian parents, we send our poorly trained students and, and and I say that seriously because most youth groups today it's like fun in game time at yeah. most of these youth groups yeah and we send them into these college atmospheres that are so hostile and te- and there's so many temptations mm-hmm. and now in the midst of this the campus ministries are in my opinion for the most part failing they're compromised, so many of them. And hear me, I'm not saying this out of bitterness because I actually love all of these people. I love these Christian parents. I love these campus ministries. I know so many ministers and leaders in these campus ministries. But I'm saying we've got to have an objective view of what exactly we're doing here, right? Mm-hmm. We are literally laying our children on the altar of career and we are sacrificing them and they are dying. And they are dying right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know... I'm just like, we've got to change this thing around. And hear me, Chris, because this is what I've seen. I've seen the Lord send people like you and me and many others into the universities. And uh, the primary assignment has been prayer, right? Pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. Pray for radical reformation. Pray for revival because these they desperately need it, Mm -hmm. right? And um. Most of the body of Christ looks at people like you and me, and they're like, okay, that's nice what they're doing, but it's kind of useless. That's that's the paradigm for, for most, you know, it's like, it wouldn't it be more effective if they started, you know, like a traditional church or something like that, or something, you know, that is or respectable, when really the primary assignment that I've seen for a lot of people the Lord is saying is like, just, you need to pray and intercede and because that's the thing that is dying on these campuses, you know, talking about these campus ministries. And so, Chris, I say all of this in this context because I, I feel like we are in a state of emergency in yeah. America, in the church. Um, but see, it's it's not an emergency. It's not a hot war, right? It's not like somebody's about to drop bombs on us. But what's happening is by every metric we can tell, the church is dying, is yeah. absolutely dying. And my my question to the body of Christ is where where is the alarm here? Like mm-hmm. why would we be doing the same thing we're always we're continually doing? Why wouldn't we radically shake it up? Why wouldn't we change things in a major major way? And I say this like I'm just thinking like historically historically when Constantine came to faith in the entire the, Imperial Roman, you know, cult became Christian overnight. Mm-hmm. And what happened is the church got so corrupted. This is, you know, ancient history in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened? The real Christians started retreating to monasteries, right? That's where the monastery movement began. Yes. And and there was this there's this need to radically change what we were doing in the face mm-hmm. of a, a system that became totally hostile, right? And and I just say I just feel like Chris, we're living in that right now, where we're. It seems like a time of emergency, and I think this is you know relevant because we just came back from this Contend Conference, yeah. And that's probably a pretty big theme of that conference, right? That's what guys like Fred Markert and um, 
and uh, you know, I, f- I forgot his name already. The J-Hop guy, <laughs> Matt Locker, right? And um, all these guys. Th- this is implied in everything they're talking about, right? It's a growing crisis. This is what I hear Mike Bickle talk about, right? He wrote a book called The Growing Crisis, and right, and how good and evil are increasing in the earth, right? And how we're getting ready for a great um, battle and great tension. And I, I just say, like, I think we're already in it. Mm-hmm. From a spiritual perspective, we are in a type of incredible onslaught against the church right now. Yeah. And, like, this is emergency time. And mm-hmm. I and I, I say all of this, um, well, before I, I launch it to, you know, some of my heart on this, I want to hear your heart in response to all of that. What do you think? Are we in emergency time? And then also at the, this Contend Conference, what did you feel? What did you take away from it? Yeah, yeah. We are definitely in, um, I think, one of the greatest crises of our nation that we've ever been in, probably since the times of the Revolutionary War, I would say. Uh, and I don't, I don't just say that as an idea, but I, I say that in the place of prayer. That's what we, we were sensing all last year, that the Lord is saying that we're living as in the times of the American Revolution. And and in those times, you know, it was actually prayer that birthed America, believe it or not. Right. Uh, the first flag that George Washington ever commissioned was a, a flag with an ever evergreen tree on it, you know, which symbolizes covenant and with the words appeal to heaven. And he had those flown on the Navy cruisers um, because they knew that the only thing they could that the only hope they had of America becoming a nation was prayer and heaven's intervention. And again, we're in that place where the only hope we have of being preserved as a nation and as a people is prayer, is God Himself intervening. There, there's no there's no ministry or church or personality or gifted group of people that's going to turn this nation around like it's it's going to take you know just an all-out return returning to the ancient past you know when the bible says return to me with all of your hearts with fasting weeping and mourning rend your hearts not your garments and that that's what we've been sensing here in, in, our, in our prayer community here in arizona for over about a year and a half or uh, about a year and a half especially now is that the lord has been saying that that america is in a nineveh moment right now that we are in a place where where we we're almost beyond the point of no return. And the only thing that can turn this around is if if we respond to the Lord like Nineveh did, just an all out, you know, rending our, our hearts before the Lord and all out turning from our wicked ways. And this is not primarily the world that needs to be turning from their wicked ways or the government. It's actually the church, the people of God. We are the ones that primarily, because the Bible says in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, he places all of the weight and responsibility on us, his people. He says, if if my people, and you've heard this verse many times, if you've been in prayer meetings, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. So it's the conditions of his people doing those things. He says, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Right. And there's never been a time where our lands needed healing more than this moment in history. Right. And um, so I truly believe that we are in a crisis moment and, and and not just not just you know I don't think we're in the beginning of the crisis I don't think we're in the middle of the, you know I, I think we're we're I think we're in the last alarm from heaven where the Lord is saying like now is the time to respond you know and, and I don't know how long this window is of mercy that we have but but I, I truly believe and I believe the Lord's confirmed this to us in prayer many times now that we're in the last alarm 
that's coming out from having the last chance to repent um, as a people in this nation. And so, so I really believe that the hour is urgent. And, and I think it's an understatement to say that we're in an urgent time right now. And it has nothing to do with, it, has, it doesn't have as much to do as, as we might think with, with elections or anything else. It has very much to do with the state of, of our hearts as a nation. Um, yeah. and so, um, Well, Chris, I'll, I'll tell you, when I talk with people that are in the prayer movement, meaning they've devoted themselves to prayer, they've devoted themselves to it, they're doing it, it's one of the primary things that they do. I'll tell you, I hear this sentiment a lot from the people that give themselves to prayer. I hear alarm, I hear emergency, I hear call, major call to the body of Christ to repent. When I talk to believers that do not prioritize prayer, mm -hmm. I hear like, oh yeah, you know, things are tough right now, but you know, it's okay, like everything's okay, like God's in control, like we shouldn't, you know, be worried. It, it, it just seems to me that there's a clear delineation in the sense of urgency that you feel if you've really devoted yourself to prayer for the nation. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. that's the sense I have. And again, that is because I think you're saying you, you're getting these, these burdens from the Lord in the place of prayer. Yeah. I've gotten these burdens so many times from the Lord in the place of prayer. Yeah. And it, 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 this is the problem. We're calling the body of Christ to prayer to prioritize it, not just to pay lip service, right? Not just your, your the five minute prayer meeting, mm -hmm. right? Or the 10 minute prayer meeting where everybody does popcorn prayer for, for 10 minutes, you know, and you're done, which is the way that I, you know, see prayer done a lot. I'm sorry, this type of prayer is not gonna cut it, okay? Mm -hmm. And I, I like doing that type of prayer too, okay? I'm not saying that that's, type, that's necessarily bad. I'm just saying, like, we need a serious devotion to prayer and, mm -hmm. If, yeah. if we don't get there, I, I, I just feel like what's happening right now is so many ministries are being exposed right now. We're seeing the exposing of so many um, prominent leaders in the body of Christ, mm -hmm. right? The exposing yeah. of so many of these ministries. I, I just feel like this, uh, to be clear, I don't want it to happen, but what I want, I want the lukewarm culture that has become the de facto standard culture in American Christianity. I want that culture to die. Yeah, and yeah. I've I've been gripped with this this longing, this desire that God would raise up a standard of Christianity, meaning a cultural standard of Christianity that would put prayer at the heart of it. And you know, I think that's you know, I think all of us who are part of quote the quote unquote prayer movement. By the way, you know, I don't know exactly what that means, right? But it's yeah, it, it, it's people who share this burden in this heart, right? We've mm -hmm. got to have prayer be the first priority of the church not because it's the only important thing but it's because it's in it's always the most important thing you put the prayer piece rightly and then what happens is it gives grace to all the other parts we're supposed to do like evangelism right like caring for others all this type of stuff comes into right order when we put the prayer piece first and i'll say encouragingly i have seen some ministries really start to get that like i'm thinking of like ywam like they you know there's the fire and fragrance Part of why where they've really incorporated, yeah. you know, prayer movement DNA. And I, I've heard great things about fire and fragrance and how God's breathing on that like crazy. Um, and, and I do see parts of the body really start to get it and be like, yeah, we've got to do this. But I'm just at a place now where I am, am encouraging people like you've got to get you've got to find mm -hmm. ministries that prioritize prayer. You've got to. Yeah. And, 
And I say this because I personally would not go to a ministry that didn't at this point. Mm-hmm. I would not. You know, and, and I, my sister's a little bit different because I'm a pastor and a leader. And so if I go somewhere, I get to start that culture, right? Yeah. But, I, but I'll tell you also, I've tried to start that in, in some places and it's been like, no, stop doing that, right? And it's like, and then I get fired and I'm like, okay, fine, <laughs> right? But that's it. No. It's a non-negotiable for me at this point. I yeah. have to be in a culture where we have a strong prayer culture because I just have a conviction that's what gives grace to everything else that we're doing. And I just want to speak to Christians right now, like, you've got to find something like this, right? If you've got, you know, a Chris Nye on your campus, you got to get over and be part of it. And, you know, maybe there's others on your campus. That's great if there are. At whatever campus you're at, you've got to find the communities that are really devoted to prayer and get along and pray with them just as as a first priority you've got to have. But... You know, sorry, I don't want to beat this this horse to death, but I do want to say, um, you know, when we're talking about this crisis, you know, one of the the um, questions we got to ask at the Contend Movement that I was lucky enough to be in your group with, and we talked about it just a little bit, right? But what do we do to prepare for this coming crisis? You know, and yeah, you know, I know you hear emergency. What do you feel like it might happen? And what can we do to prepare for it? Yeah. Um, I think that's a big question. You know, it one is, of the yeah. things that they shared about a contend is, and this, this is just kind of a, maybe a wake up call, hopefully for us. And, and, um, and, you know, and if, if you want to hear the, um, well, um, I'm not sure where, where we could find it, where someone could hear some of these messages, but uh, I will tell you this is that Fred Markert, he's a, a, a leader, leader with YOM and he, Lord led him to read over 600 books on the rise and fall of civilizations all throughout history. And, and, and because of that, he's actually been invited to round tables with, with top uh, you know, experts in the world at, at, at Ivy, League, Ivy League schools where they would consult together and just kind of, you know, uh, even you know, these are unbelievers looking at the, the, the dire situation of the nation. Okay. So this isn't, it's gotten to the point where even unbelievers um, are recognizing the place where America is at right now. And, and they, they, so they had a round table a few years ago, Fred market was invited. I think he said he was the only believer that was at this table of like, tw- you know, 25, 30 people, maybe, you know, top economic experts, financial experts, people that, that understand um, the trends of civilization and the place where America is at right now. And they all unanimously came to this conclusion that, and then they said that that within five to ten years, likely, America is is inevitably going to collapse as a civilization because we're in the point that every uh, empire and great civilization was before us, of uh, right before they collapse. We're in those those final moments now, um, and, and and so these even even unbelievers are starting to recognize like this is the trend that America you know. And they actually had no hope. None of them had any hope. They said, this is inevitable. America is going to collapse. And, 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 and one of the things he shared at, at Contend is he said that, that uh, there's three different uh, conditions of the world. One is the first one's a unipolar, which is where we're at right now, where you have one world superpower and the world is at peace. And when you have one world superpower, the gospel can, it, it, those are the conditions that the gospel can best advance in and missions can take place in because there's, 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 you know, a, there's, relative peace over the world and, and you're not constantly having to you know be in, in a war kind of condition the second one is a bipolar um 
where you have two uh, nations competing to be the world's superpower. And then you have multipolar, which is, you know, three or more nations competing to be the world's superpower. And they said that one of the things he said is that anytime uh, a world superpower falls and collapses, and suddenly, suddenly you're thrown into a multipolar world where, where multiple nations are competing to become that superpower again. And those are the times when the world is most chaotic, when the world is at war, and when the gospel comes to a halt, the advance of the gospel, as far as missions, comes to a halt. And, and so a few years ago, they met and they said that, that most likely within five to ten years, we're going to see the collapse of America as a civilization. And, and, and possibly be thrown into a world world war type conditions, you know? So th this is the place where we're at guys. Um, and, and Fred market was actually the only person that had hope at this round table. And he said, he said, there is one thing that can stop this though. And, and there is one hope. And they looked to him like there's a hope. And he said, yes, and it's, it's spiritual revival, you know, only, like, you know, if, if people will, if we will return to the Lord and see a revival of religion and, and spiritual revival, you know, uh, uh, turning to Jesus, then then we can actually see something turn around and something change. And, and they actually, as unbelievers, they actually took hope in what he said because they were just relieved that there is a hope because they couldn't see any. And so, um, as far as how do we respond, you know, um, and I, you know, and I, and definitely would love to hear your thoughts as well, Dennis, because I, I know we were processing through this together. Um, but I, I would say the first thing that just comes to mind is as I think. You know, you know, I think when we when we talk big picture, like the nation, um, it, it can be easy to kind of, you know, uh, the solution, you know, oftentimes we, we look to something uh, outside of us. You know, we, we look to the government and, you know, they they need to be the solution. And we look to, you know, maybe the big institutional church. They need to, you know, so often we we we, we see the problems and we often point at the problems to, to everybody else, you know, and to these institutions or the people. But I think what the Lord has been 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 uh, speaking to me over the last last few years, and 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 really just brought me to a greater greater conviction of is that um, is this reality that that I'm the biggest problem, you know, that I personally am the greatest hindrance to revival in this nation, and I am the greatest hindrance to like you know that it's it's not the church necessarily that that first and foremost needs to change as much it is, but. But more than that, it's me. Like I'm part of the church, and that, and 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 so I, I think with everything, like like everything begins with us. You know that like how are we going to respond in this hour, and how is God calling us to to not just um, desire the difference and not just pray the difference that begins there with prayer, but to to be the difference. And and so so I really think it begins with us personally coming back to the place of prayer, coming back to the place of, of deep repentance and, and humility, coming back to fasting, you know, um, you know, Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't say if you pray or if you fast or if you give, but he said his assumption is that if you follow Jesus, it, he says when you fast, when you pray, when you give, when you die to yourself and surrender all the, you know, yeah. um, he said unless you you take up your cross and deny yourself and and give up your own life we, we can't even follow jesus and that that's really the reality that's that's the it's not it's not the third you know the third world you know where they're on fire that's not the standard of christianity there that's the standard of christianity period you yeah. know and so it begins with us like will we you know to, to, to see that the desperate need that we're in and the first and foremost come and you know get in and in, 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 you know find a room in our house find a a closet you know just a secret place and just 
just humble ourselves before the Lord and, and begin to get a prayer life, you know, begin to cry out to the Lord just say, God, like, you know, I see the problems in the world. I see the problems in the church, but, but all these same problems that we see oftentimes are the same problems within us, you know? And so it's so the Lord changed my heart, you know, like I, like I'm, you know, uh, I'm the reason why we're not seeing revival right now. I'm the reason why, our nation is in the state that it's in. And if we'll begin to take personal responsibility and, and we'll begin to, to really own it, like, you know, like Daniel, um, when the 70 years of exile was up, you know, he began to own the sin of his people and his land. And he said, you know, we have sinned and, 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 you know, uh, forgive us, you know, I've, I've sinned, you know? And so I think we begin there with, with repenting in a deep way and, and humbling ourselves in prayer and, and really beginning to get a life of prayer and fasting. And, and I think only when we come, come into that, that secret place in our own hearts with the Lord, I think that's, that's the only place that we can stay awake, honestly, because, because here, here's the reality guys. And, and this is, this has taken me a long time to realize this. The reality is that um, it, it's not just an, uh, an ideological war, you know, it's not just a war of ideas um, it's, it's, it's very much a spiritual battle that we're in, in our nation right. and, and we, we can't fight it with our natural weapons. We can't fight it with only having a certain worldview or only having the right ideas in our minds, uh, you know, because, because we can have all the right ideas in our minds and still not have the strength of spirit to overcome the world and the flesh and the enemy, because it's a spiritual battle. And what we're dealing with when it, you know, in the media and just everything is, is actually a, a demonic uh, warfare, you know, it's actually um, a spiritual battle. And so the only way we can overcome a spiritual battle is if we strengthen our spirits to, you know, to, and we immerse ourselves in the presence of God, you know, um, because, you know, the, the, here's the thing I'm seeing is that um, people that I know that have been solid believers for, for many years and for a long time, and, and, you know, people that have just been believers for a long time, are getting are getting swept up in in the world they're getting swept up in the ideas of the world the ideas of the media and everything and it's not because they're not christian it's because it's because they're they because we're because we're failing to realize that we're in a spiritual battle and 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 there's actually um i'm just going to say this and and um and you know we can we can wrestle through it more later if we need to but but this is what the lord has shown me is that 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 what we're what we're dealing with is more than just um, ideas being tossed around on media. It's actually uh, a demonic, a demonic agendas are being released through the media, empowered by demonic spirits. Like we're actually dealing with witchcraft um, in that it's empowering the ideas of the world. And, 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 it's, and so what happens is if, if we're not in a place of continual prayer and fasting and being, uh, being awake in our spirits, then the natural state of our, of our, of, of just the flesh and the natural state of our being is to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, um, so, so we might think that we're going to stand in, in times when, when great persecution comes, but if we're not even standing on the little things right now, where these little compromises are coming in, we're definitely not going to stand, uh, you know, when, when the big ones come. And, and, and um, one thing I'll just, you know, um, this I'll share along with this is, is, is I really believe that, that, you know, uh, we're, we're kind of living in the times of, of, um, uh, you know, like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, because, you know, you know, you have, you know, uh, you have um, the people of God in exile, 
to this this worldly system you know and this this worldly superpower called babylon you know and, and you see how in the bible babylon symbolizes the systems of the world you know and 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 uh, and worldliness you know and so so here we are we're living in this culture it's like babylon you know we're it's completely dominated with demonic ideologies uh you know is you know taught from our uh, from all of our schools beginning from elementary all the way up to college and and you know you see it in the media. It just, it, we're just saturated with this stuff. And here, here you have a, a small company of people, Daniel and his three friends, and they're they're unwilling to compromise on on um, on, on what seems to be a very small thing. And they they said, you know, um, uh, it, it's, it's not even the demonic teaching and, and stuff that they're 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 saying. You know, we don't want to hear any of this stuff. But, but they're actually, you know, they 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 ask, they make a request, and they said, can we be exempt from eating the king's food? You know, and, and so if you're in exile I and mean, you're, you're, you know, you're getting all this like really delicious food and everything like, like, you know, I, I, I me and my own self, I, I wouldn't mind that at all. I'd be like, this is great. I'm, you know, eating well, I'm all this, but, but for some reason they choose that. And they said, you know, like, like allow us to, to not eat the king's food and instead just put us on vegetables and water, you know? Yeah. But, um, and I remember uh, my, my, our friend uh, Ty Lam from from uh, Luke 18 and International House of Prayer. He 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 gave a really great message on this. And one of the things he shared is this: is he said he said the reason why they they asked to and they fasted from that is because they knew that whatever hooks your appetites is what's going to eventually uh, gain control of, of of the rest of your heart. You know, and 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 just this idea that that when we eat the rich foods of this world, the king's food. It, it actually like Nebuchadnezzar wasn't wasn't stupid, you know. He knew that if he could hook the hearts of the next generation, that that they would willingly follow him uh, and 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 perpetuate the rest of the values of his kingdom. Like if he could if he could get them so comfortable that they just they they enjoyed being in Babylon, they enjoyed you know the pleasures of Babylon, then they would willingly go along with him and 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 just continue to be a part of his kingdom for the the rest of their days. And right. and that, that's what the enemy is doing is he's hooking us in. Through our pleasures, through our appetites, through our enjoyments, through, you know, the foods that we eat, through uh, social media, entertainment, you know, um, all the, 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 the food of this world. And, and, and if, if we give in on that front and we enjoy the, the, the things of this life, we consume it and, we, and, and that's what we go to for, for pleasure, enjoyment and rest, then, it, then it's like, then we're not even going to be able to stand when it comes to the actual, like, you know, deny Jesus or else, you know, or it comes to like, and, and unfortunately that that's where the enemy has compromised us so often. And, and, and where we don't, we don't have the strength of spirit to stand against, against the pressures, the, the um, you know, the ideologies of the enemy um, because we've compromised on these little things. But, but notice what happens is when they begin to do this, uh, the Bible says that they, 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 they look 10 times better than all the other young people of their day, you know? And, and so the King said, all right, you know, you can continue on this eating vegetables, water. And so what they did is they, they lived a fasted lifestyle. Um, And it says at the end of their training, at the end of their time, it said they were 10 times better than all the sorcerers, magicians, wise men, pretty much like, like God set them apart above their entire generation because they were willing to consecrate themselves. And they were, they were willing to deny themselves the, the legitimate pleasures of the age, uh, yeah. in order to be set apart to the Lord, and 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 I remember um, hearing an intercessor, a prayer warrior. He actually uh, back in the seventies, I think it was the seventies. The Lord actually spoke this to him. He said that there was a day coming 
when a whole generation would begin to Daniel fast, you know, to fast like Daniel did, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to fast the rich foods of, of this life. And, and, you know, and I take that to be both the physical foods, but also the, you know, what, what our, what our uh, souls consume, you know, right. it's interesting that in entertainment, you know, and you know, when it comes to music, media, entertainment, you know, they, they call people consumers, you know, right. and I think yeah. that's so interesting. Like, what are we eating? What are we feeding our souls and our spirits? Yeah. Are we, are we dulling and weakening and putting to sleep our spirits by what we, we take into our eyes and our ears and what we watch, you know, and, and, and I've, I've experienced that so many times, you know, yeah. that, that my spirit falling asleep, but anyways, at the end of it, they consecrated themselves and, and they were 10 times better. And they were actually able to have a, um, the wisdom that was needed for the hour when the hour of crisis came. And so this intercessor gets a word from the Lord in the seventies. And, and, and God told them that there would be a generation one day that was coming that would, that would Daniel fast as a lifestyle, um, not because they wanted to, but because it was going to be the only way to have a prophetic spirit in the days of darkness that they were living in. Mm. And guys, that's the days that we're living in right now. The days of such darkness, the days where everything around us is trying to put our spirits to sleep. And literally, I believe the only way that we can have a, a, a spirit, a prophetic spirit that's awake, that's alive, that's burning, that knows what to do in the crisis, the, the times of crisis that we're living in is if we, if, if, if we'll live a life of prayer and fasting. Yeah, it's good. That's good. I like a lot of things that you said there. I think, um, you know, I like that. First of all, you're taking responsibility yourself, right? I'm not saying those other people have to do this. I'm saying that I'm part of the church and we've got to do it. And I'm putting the focus on myself. And I like that. I think that that's, um, I think there's a real temptation. And, um, you know, it, it, in terms of pointing the fingers constantly, right? Um, yeah. But as, as, leaders in the body of Christ, we have to recognize that we bear responsibility, right? I I think that that's really true. And we have to have a vision that we can have impact. I I remember um, when I was in college and studying the life of Paul and just feeling like, man, everywhere that guy went, there was revival. You know, he was like a walking revival, you know? And um, there's, there's a powerful truth there um, where, you know... Uh, God can do a lot, you know, through one person who is completely surrendered mm-hmm. and completely obedient to him. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a good, I think it's a good, strong point, number one. Um, and I hear you about the holiness. That's what I'm hearing, right? The fasted lifestyle, um, you know, Lou and the call people, they usually use the terms of Nazarite calling, right? The idea of being separated from the world's pleasures so that you can have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And that's part of what we were getting at when we were talking about this idea of urgency because we've been giving ourselves to prayer and we feel these burdens of urgency, right? We feel like there's a, there's a sense in which we're uh, more connected with what the Spirit of God is feeling and doing. And I want to be careful there because I'm not trying to say that, um, you know, the prayer movement people have a monopoly on that, but I am saying that there is a correlation between living a fasted lifestyle where we are devoting ourselves to the presence of God. There is an increased ability to sense what he's feeling and to become burdened with his desires and all of that. That's all part of it. And I hear what you're saying there. Yeah, I think, um, look, my paradigm on all of this 
is that I think God is restoring the church. All right, my understanding is that you know in in um you know in the Gospels Jesus talks about a, a particular parable about the parable of the wheat and the tares, and the wheat, which is the plantings of the Lord, is growing to maturity, and then the tares, which look like the wheat but are not, mm-hmm. they're also growing to maturity. At the end of the age, there's a great harvest where the wheat is separated from the tares. And I feel like that's a good picture of the fact that both good and evil are growing in the earth. And both the church is becoming more and more mature, and evil is also becoming more and more mature in the earth at the same time. And and the idea there is I think some people's paradigms, especially when you get into like like more of a post-millennial eschatology, is like a, a victorious church means that we're taking over the world, right? We're going to take over entire nations. The whole world is going to be fully Christianized when Jesus returns, right? That's not a paradigm that I have. Um, although there are aspects of that paradigm that I think are very healthy, meaning this idea, like the, like that post-millennial paradigm is usually contrasted with a pre-millennial paradigm. The pre-millennial paradigm oftentimes, and I am pre-millennial, but I don't share this particular aspect of this pre-millennial paradigm, but it usually gets put as like things are getting worse and worse and worse, right? Everything's going to get worse and worse and worse. The true church is going to hold on by their fingernails to Jesus, and right as they're about to fall into oblivion, like Jesus is going to come swooping in and save them, right? And and so it's a very pessimistic pessimistic outlook of the future. Um, and I don't share that paradigm either, right? Because I think the church is maturing and the evil in the world is maturing at the same time. And um, and I think the two are interconnected. They're interrelated, meaning God uses the, the growing evil in the world to purify, refine, and mature his church. Meaning that we cannot become the mature bride that we are called to be apart from the pressures of an increasingly evil world system that is hostile towards what God is doing in the earth. And so what I'm getting at with all of this is I do see evil increasing. Okay, I think, um, you know, this, you know, and this can be controversial. You don't have to agree with this, Chris. There's no pressure on this. But I feel like this, all this woke stuff that's rising, I see it as like a, a 21st century type of neo-Marxism. I feel like it's very connected with the Marxism, you know, of, you know, classic Marxism and communism and, and all of that. I feel like it's very well connected. Um, the ideas at their heart are very similar ideas. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is that this, it, this was never a localized type of evil. This thing almost took over the entire planet in the 20th, 20th century. Um, it was very influential. It took over an entire nations, and um, you know we had thought that we had defeated once and for all in 1989 when the Soviet Union fell, um, but that is surely not the case because the ideology um, is is potent, right? And it continues to persist, and it's take it's taking on a new form and all this woke stuff. But the point is, this is not just an American phenomenon. This is actually happening all over the world, right? I talk with my friends in Korea. They're talking about similar stuff going on over there. This is happening in Europe. This is happening in lots of different places in the world. I've told people that what I think, if, if I had to put my finger on an antichrist kingdom, a final ultimate antichrist kingdom, I think it would look something like a woke, is, a, a woke um, Islam, 
Like I think if you saw like the the humanism involved in you know this this neo Marxism somehow meshed with Islam, even though they seem like competing ideologies, I you know we do see woke Christianity, for example, we see a kind of a humanist Christianity. I think we can all see a humanist Islam. Um, this is just my guess. I think that's probably what it would look like if I had to guess. But my only point is this: I think that these these um, hostile kingdoms, and that's the way I tend to see them, they're spiritual kingdoms that are hostile to the kingdom of Christ, I, I feel like these things are going to continue to increase and, and create major devastation in their wake. I think we're going to have um, major turmoil, major trials. I think we are going to have world war. I think civil war is likely in America in the near future, although obviously I'm not 100% sure. But I think a lot of these things are are coming. Um, but my paradigm is not that this is the the most terrible thing that can happen. Yeah. Right. The yeah. the the paradigm here is Jesus warned us that we would have increasing tribulation till the end of the age. Right. Um, Paul says in in Romans eight that the creation is in the pangs of childbirth, and the idea of birth pangs is they get more violent and more painful, and of longer duration the contractions, the closer you get to the birth. And so I think that's exactly what it's going to be like. And so I say all that to say, um, but those things are necessary. Why? Because it provokes the body of Christ to increase maturity and holiness. Yeah, yeah. And so... Interesting what you were saying about, because um, I really, uh, that's a word that, that we've heard from, from uh, a number of times in this last year and a half as well, uh, just from different prayer warriors and just kind of what we've been sensing and the Lord speaking. And one of those is that this is that we're in a time of, of separating that the Lord is, is, is dividing and separating the, the wheat from the chaff, you know, the wheat from the tares. Right. And what's interesting is, is that whole thing about the wheat and tares, you know, how you said they, they look exactly the same as they're growing up. But what's interesting is that at harvest time, the tares or the, the wheat develops kind of a little, um, a little weight at the end of it and so at, at, at the full harvest the wheat actually will bow down while the tares stand straight up and yeah. I, I think what's interesting is that i believe that is happening even within the church right now that there's a lot of separation going on where the lord is 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 calling us to side with him you know and 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 to uh, even even when if it means uh, rejection from other brothers and sisters in christ even if it means um, you know, being, being uh, you know, just uh, some some friction and even some division going on within the church because, because you know, sometimes there, there's division that comes from the enemy, but there's also division that comes from the spirit of God and, and what he's doing. And mm -hmm. and right now the Lord is calling us to, to stand with him in a way that's, that's going to become more and more costly, I believe, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, maybe relationships with other believers, but also, you know, uh, just, you know, our reputations in the eyes of the world. I mean, we're seeing, you know, pastors getting arrested in Canada, you know, for just uh, holding their holding services, you know, instead of right. bowing to the intimidation and fear of the, the COVID thing, you know. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because um, so um, there is an intercessor named Jeremiah Johnson. He wrote a book called The Power of a Consecrated Life. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so he had written the whole book. He submitted it to the publisher. And that night, God gives him a dream and he shows him the, uh, it shows him the table of contents. And God says, you forgot to write a chapter or you, you, you still have one more chapter to write. And he saw the title and it was, it was called the harlot bride. 
And, and so he's like, okay, you know, and in the dream, he's talking to God and he's like, you know, you know, Jesus, like, what are you trying to speak to me from this? And in the dream, God spoke to him and he said, in the last days, there's going to be two dueling brides in the earth. There's going to be the harlot bride, you know, the prostitute bride, and there's going to be the consecrated bride. And he said, you'll know the difference because the harlot bride will be married to the world and the consecrated bride will be married to the man of war. I believe in these days that to stand with Jesus and to side with Jesus is is to side with um, the warrior heart of God and the the, the man of, of justice, the man with fire in his eyes, who right. is his words are controversial. His words like are dividing the church at this very moment. You know, entire denominations are starting to you know experience some of this. You know, and um, because you know. Um, but, but, you know, we, we have to side with the truth of the Lord. The, you know, the, Jesus said that, that, that if we're ashamed of him and his words before men, he's going to be ashamed of us before the Father and his angels. Right. And so I, I believe that's going to become more and more, you know, uh, relevant and just, just um, crucial. And, that, you know, are, are we willing to, to stand with God and, and to bear the shame of carrying the presence of God? You know, Mary, when she said yes to God, she had to, she was saying yes to a life of bearing the shame of forever having her reputation destroyed. You know, people thinking that she had a baby out of wedlock, you know, always talking about her when she and Joseph were around, but she said yes to bearing that shame. And, and, and I, and that's one of the things I believe the Lord is, is asking of us more and more. Are you willing to bear the shame of carrying my name and carrying my presence? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I feel like, you know, even though there's major hardship, I foresee a lot of hardship coming. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hopeful about what it's producing. And I think that's a very consistent biblical message, right? That's why the scriptures talk about rejoicing through tribulation, that God uses these hardships as discipline to train us. Um, and so I simply say for believers, though, I look, now is the time of testing. Mm-hmm. Now is the time of testing. Like, you have to choose what path you're going to follow and more and more believers are being tested in this you know jesus says very specifically you cannot serve both god and money right and if yeah. you because if you serve one you'll despise the other and i think a lot of people don't like they go no i can follow both you know and um but uh, no there are times where to follow him means you have to lay it down mm-hmm. and that that is a huge test of our faith in Christ. How much do we trust him in his words? And um, we're seeing parts of this. When I was at Contend, I had two different people talk to me about their fears about being canceled at work, about getting fired. And um, look, if you're in California, in, in a lot of these industries, there's a very real chance that you can get fired, right, as an evangelical Christian for holding certain convictions, especially if you were to speak out about them. Right. And so I'll just tell you, I know for a lot of people, they just have chosen to remain silent on all that kind of stuff. Right. Like you don't say anything on social media. You like, you know, you just pipe down. But I'll tell you, um, look, in in, in this in, in the past four months, I've heard two major testimonies of churches that are conservative churches, but they chose to remain silent on the issue of homosexuality. And they both basically had like huge um, movements in their church to push for becoming pro-gay churches, and wow. um, and yeah, both of them got devastated by that. 
And that's not unusual, right? When we talk about InterVarsity, InterVarsity was all about social media or social justice. They didn't want to talk about controversial things. Um, and then, you know, InterVarsity National, this is about six years ago or something like that, said, hey, if you're openly gay, we want you to step down from serving on staff. I applaud InterVarsity National doing that because that I did not expect them to do that. But they yeah. did, to their credit. But, you know, it did. It killed, like, a lot of chapters, just completely imploded. And that's yeah. because those chapters had already gone so far down that they already had openly gay staff they'd already supported that you know and so that's the danger if you don't speak if you don't fight in this battle you will be exposed one day it's gonna happen I'm, and i'm just telling this lovingly to christians right it's yeah. better to just own it now just yeah. own it now own it and and to be clear i'm not saying you have to become purposefully obnoxious to people around you or like you know you shout your most controversial opinions everywhere. I'm not saying you have to do all that. I am saying that I believe it is incumbent on the body of Christ right now to stand up for God's words that are much maligned in our culture today. Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me or my commands, I'll be ashamed of him before my Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Christians need to understand that is a real warning. It's a real warning. It's speaking about the unwise virgins that come to the door. It says, I, I never knew you, right? Speaking of the, the, the servant who hid his, par- his talent in the ground, right? The Lord said, you wicked and lazy servant, right? And what he, is, what he has is taken away from him. And, and I say, I believe all of those biblical warnings are to believers. I do not think any of those are speaking about unbelievers. I think they're all speaking to believers and they're warning us about the cost of discipleship, right? And Jesus warns about it. Nobody should start doing this thing if he's not prepared to finish it, mm-hmm. right? What what kind of a person starts building a house without calculating what it's going to cost to finish this thing? And I lovingly say that that is exactly what has happened to many believers. They've been sold a gospel that says, hey, all you got to do is believe in Jesus and you get free heaven. And I say that is exactly what Jesus warns against. He says, yeah. don't start following me unless you're prepared to finish this thing. Yeah. Right? Like, don't do not do it because you are going to be tested and tried. And in fact, I when I do baptism classes now, I tell them, you have to understand what baptism is. Baptism is a declaration that you have died to yourself. You no longer live for your own life and your own priorities, your own goals. You live only for the for Christ now. It's a declaration. It's a vow of fidelity and faithfulness to him. And you will be tested on. The rest of your life is the testing of that vow. A lot of people think you're saved by the ritual of baptism. You're not saved by the ritual. You're saved by the declaration of faith that will be tested through the course of your life. Yeah. And so... I, I say all this to say, this is the time, believers, this is the time. It's the most exciting time to be a believer because, Chris, I think God is raising up. I I have hope, you know, this might be the final generation. I don't know for sure. I just, I can tell you, I feel this hope in my heart that many in this generation are going to go farther in the Lord than any generation that has come previously. And I look at my heroes in the faith. I look at guys like Lou Engel, and I'm like, this guy is so impossibly far ahead of me. Like, there's no way, you know, but I have this hope in my heart that God is releasing a grace on the body of Christ to surpass even our heroes, okay? 
And I'll I'll just say like that seems it does it seems absolutely impossible. There's no way I can fast as much as Lou has fasted and like all this kind of stuff. But I have this hope in my heart that this is something that God's doing, and He's using these coming crises to do this miraculous work of maturation and and growth in the body of Christ. And um and I'm hopeful for it. I I'm hopeful that we're gonna see you know we're gonna. You know, I, I think back to early worship music when I was growing up, like Maranatha. I don't know if you ever listened to Maranatha yeah, worship music. Of course. Oh, yeah, man. It was hokey, bro. It was like, you know, and like hymns. And then you had this incredible worship movement with like Vineyard and, you know, Hill songs. And yeah. um, and I, and I and now I look and I see how far worship music has come. I can't imagine going back to Maranatha worship music, bro. I think I'd, I'd, I think I'd die. <laughs> no, no disrespect to Maranatha. They were amazing for their time, you know, <laughs> like amazing oh, yeah. for their time. But I just say like what we have now in worship is mm-hmm. so much more amazing, right? And and I say that I feel like that that type of transformation is coming to large swaths of the body like there's going to be an incredible transformation of the body of christ we're going to function in a higher level of prophetic accuracy higher level of healing anointing higher level of wisdom and right theology higher level of unity between leaders than we've ever seen i have great hope in my heart for all of this but we have to pass through the trials and the troubles that will form that in us and and i and this is why i say to believers today don't despise these these hardships that you're enduring and i know that they're real ones like people are having to give up their career people are getting fired from their jobs people are getting canceled they're being you know um dis- they're being ridiculed and mocked and they're losing friends over positions they're taking for the sake of christ and yeah. i and i just want to tell believers keep going don't stop right these light and momentary afflictions are working up for us a glory that cannot be measured by our earthly paradigms, right? Mm-hmm. It, the glory that we're going to experience because of these small hardships, and and obviously the ones that I'm talking about right there, those are the smallest of the small hardships, right? We're not even talking about the torturings and the whippings and all this kind of stuff. But hey, we all have to start somewhere, right? So with the small you know, persecutions that we face, it, these are so worth it to be part of what God is doing in this generation. If you have to give up a career, if you have to if if you have to have your friends or your family members hate you and despise you for the sake of following Christ and being faithful to, to his commandments, I just want to say it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to give up even for some people that they have to give up like a great job or living in the part of the country they want to live in or or whatever and they have to be part of Grungy little prayer movements, intense, right? Where they look like crazy people. And, you know, like, but I just want to say it's it's worth it, right? It's worth it for the sake of following Christ in our generation. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, the thing is we, we need to pay the cost now. Like, like wherever we're at, start paying the cost now. Start denying yourself every day, you know, like, like voluntarily, like, like voluntarily embrace, uh, willful, you know, uh, in a sense, the, uh, the giving up of yourself, you know, the willing suffering, you know, of sacrificing time, sacrificing, you know, enjoyable foods, rich foods, you know, sacrificing, um, you know, social media, uh, just different things that, that, you know, we already know is weighing us down. We already know is distracting us. We already know, you know, like, you know, media addiction is, is probably one of the greatest hindrances to a heart on fire and a life on fire, you know, and, and yeah. it's one of the most prevalent things in our generation. 
generation, but start making those sacrifices now, you know, like start, start realizing there's never going to come an end to, you know, like, like for us, like we, we had to cut out media addiction and, and TV shows and all this stuff that we were hooked on, you know, but there came this realization that there was never going to come an easier point to cut that off than right now, you know, like yeah. there's never going to come a point that, that like the TV shows are never going to let you come to a point where you feel like, Oh, we finally arrived at the end of it. And yeah. now I, I would feel great just stepping away from this. You know, they, there's always going to be a cliffhanger. There's always going to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, a cliffhanger at the end of the next episode and the end of this series, you're never going to get to a point where you feel like you're ready to like, you know, it's, it's just going to get harder. Like, yeah. like, like if I had to be honest with you, it's just going to get harder and harder and harder, the longer, longer we hold on to those things. But if we, if we'll start now, you know, and we'll, we'll start to take up our cross now and say, Jesus, like, I really want to be able to say that you are my everything one day, you know, I really want to be able to say that I love you with all of my heart, you know, and that yeah. you, are all of my fountains are in you, you know, all of everything that I draw life and enjoyment and from is, is only from you. Like we have to start somewhere and we got to start now, you know? And, yeah. and, and when we, when we make those voluntary sacrifices now, then when Nebuchadnezzar forces everyone to bow before his golden statue, you'll be among those that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that has the strength of spirit to stand up when everybody else is bowing, you know? And, and, um, but the pressure is intense. You know, it's already intense now, and it's only going to get get more and more intense. And so, so you know, so maybe maybe we're we're not there right now. But but let's just start to say yes to him now and start to to let him bring us there. You know, <laughs> let a, let's let him um, bring us more and more to that place where we're we're able to stand and we're not afraid of of being rejected. We're not afraid of being put to shame. You know, the yeah. The Bible says those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. No one whose hope is in the Lord is ever put to shame, you know, and, and the, the rejection is real, you know, but, but the Lord said, it's not you, they're rejecting, it's him, you know, and, and right. it actually says in Luke and, the, uh, you know, in his sermon on the mountain there, he says that, that, that when you are, are rejected, you know, when you're falsely accused and, and, and all sorts of evil is spoken against you and my, because of my name, it actually says rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward, you know? And, and, and so, so for, if we're not being, if we're not coming up against opposition, we're not coming up against rejection, persecution, we should, we should actually, we should actually be concerned. You know, we should actually wonder and ask the question before the Lord, am I in the right place before you? Because you said in your letters to Timothy, Paul said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted it's, yeah. it's not because you're being obnoxious it's it literally like 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 you don't have to be obnoxious when you're like living by the spirit and you're living like like for another kingdom like your 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 life values are going to be so just contradictory and foreign to like the people around you who are living for the world that they, they're just gonna they're gonna have a, a natural reaction of like of you know it's, it's just it's, it's going to be just a natural clashing of two kingdoms and two kingdom values and and that, that's what I'm, that's what um, that's what we're starting to realize more and more is that like like you know you 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 can totally walk in a spirit of love, humility, gentleness, kindness toward people, and and even in that even in sharing the truth and love in that in that context, you know not angry, not frustrated, you know all that stuff. You're still going to be rejected and you're still going to be attacked and and because it's, it's in the spirit, the spirit that you're a part of is going to clash against the spirit of this age. And, and that's, that's the best place to be. And, and, and that's why, like Jesus says that when you, when you come to that point, 
where, where all of hell is breaking loose against you, then you should rejoice because, you know, like literally the, the spirit of glory and of God is upon you, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's why you're coming up against all this opposition. And so, mm-hmm. so the, you know, the Lord is, is one to rewire our thinking, you know, rewire, rearrange our hearts to really understand um, yes. the thing that our, our flesh so naturally, you know, like we don't realize how, how much, um, how much we do just subconsciously and unconsciously, that we do just to avoid rejection and persecution and to avoid people saying bad things about us within the church, even within the church, you know, like I didn't, I, I, like I had to come to the realization that my whole way of, 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 the, of doing things, the, the way I shared things and presented things so often was just to avoid persecution, you yeah. know, and, and the Lord started asking me like, you know, was I willing to lay that down? You know, was I willing to, to desire him more than I desired the favor of man, you know? And, um, and so, so that's the invitation that he's giving us, you know, and if, if we say, if we'll say yes to it, it's, it's a, it's a life of joy. Uh, you know, it's uh, even while your, 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 your flesh is dying, even while your reputation is dying and people are attacking you and you, you feel like awful in one sense, you're going to feel like so much of, of the peace and the presence and the delight and joy of the Lord on you and your, in your heart and in your spirit, because you'll, you'll know that you're standing with him and you'll know that you're really, you're, 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 you're choosing to live for him and not for self. You That's know, great. That's really great. Hey, Chris, just as you were sharing right there, um, we're, we're going to wrap up pretty soon. I know we're going a little late here, but I was, I was thinking about Stefan in, um, the book of acts, you know, and he had the, the honor to be the very first martyr, Right um, in of the New Testament period, and the thing about Stephen is that he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't an apostle, right? He wasn't an apostle. Um, I believe he was he was a deacon, right? And um, but I just want to I just want to say, say this because I think a lot of people have the paradigm like, oh, I'm 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 not like a leader, or you know, I'm not a, a pastor or a ministry leader or something like that. But I, I, I just want to prophetically say this. I feel like the Lord is calling all his people to be leaders. Mm. God's calling all his, his people to be leaders. And there's a context for leadership for every believer. Every believer has an yeah. opportunity for leadership. And not just an opportunity, but a demand for leadership. Mm. Um, whether it's in your home, whether it's amongst your friends, whether it's in your church, right? There, Let me tell you. There's a need for for leadership everywhere because uh, leadership, simply put, is having a firm enough conviction that you carry others with you in that conviction. Yeah. Right. Like that's that's really all leadership is. And give me give me a leader without a title that has strong conviction from the Lord on their life. I would much rather have a leader like that than yeah. one with a great title. Um, and and look, I'll tell you, I just saw earlier today, I saw a video of a priest. Um, this priest got canceled. Um, he got fired by his archbishop because he, um, you know, he preached a controversial sermon about how uh, Catholics should not be Democrats, right? And it got him, it got him fired. Um, but I was just, uh, you know, I, I listened to some of his sermons, just a couple of them before I, we, we came on this, and he's talking about how much corruption there is in the Catholic hierarchy, like mm-hmm. how so many of these um, powerful Catholics have such little in the way of biblical conviction, wow. and and that's that's the the truth. Look, I, I just want to lovingly say I, I don't think God is impressed with titles, and I don't think we should be either, okay? Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not saying, you know, Jesus told his disciples, you know, honor 
honor the chief priests because they sit in Moses' seat, but don't do what they do because they're hypocrites, <laughs> right? Um, and there, there, there's truth there. I'm, we should honor people on, given their titles, right? Whatever authority they've been given by men, we should honor that to some degree. I'm not saying totally disregard it, but I am saying just because somebody has human authority doesn't mean they have heavenly authority. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you can have heavenly authority without human authority. Yeah. And of the two, I'd much rather have heavenly authority. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I say this for young people, especially because a lot of times young people can be like, oh, who am I? I'm just a college student or I'm just a high school student or I'm just, I'm just a nobody. I'm like, no, if you have real conviction, then you are a force for good on the earth, right? You, God can use you and he wants to use you. And don't worry about getting the earthly title. A lot of people get really worked up about that, right? Like they feel like if they don't have the earthly title, they can't do anything. But I lovingly say, you've got to get rid of that mentality. That mentality will kill you in your spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Okay, no, 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 don't look at it like that. God can use you as a nobody with no title, all right? Mm-hmm. He can use you right now if you carry strong conviction, right? Mm-hmm. You want to carry the convictions of the Lord, and then God can use you in your life in in a lot of different ways. All of us, Chris, I know you started without a title, right? You're probably just a student. You're just like, we got to do prayer. we got to do it, <laughs> right? That's pretty much how I started too, you know? Like, you, the way you become a leader is not by getting somebody to recognize you. It's by getting a conviction and acting on it in the Lord, yeah. right? And yeah. then it's your conviction that carries you. And I just tell you, if you have an over- um, uh, too much respect for human titles. I've just seen so many people messed up in it because then you start to compromise for the sake of getting human approval for things, right? You become part of the corrupt system if you do that. No, don't worry about that. You worry about having the Lord's endorsement, about being obedient to His will and what He's asking you to do. Even if nobody's doing it, but you feel like God's asking you to do it, then you do it, and then you get eternal authority that lasts forever. That's the kind of authority that I want. I don't care about this garbage human authority that you know that is done when you're dead. I want the kind of authority that lasts for eternity and that will be recognized by the Father in heaven. That's what Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for. He says, the reason you can't understand the words that I'm saying is because there's spirit in their life and because you receive glory from one another. I receive glory from no man. He says, you receive glory from one another, but you don't seek the glory that comes from the one above, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that should be all of our parents. We don't, we don't need human recognition for us, although, you know, all of us get encouraged by it for sure, <laughs> right? But we just, we want his recognition. We want his endorsement, his affirmation. So I just want to speak to you young people out there. Have a vision to become a leader in the body of Christ. Have a vision to become a leader with real God-given authority. And the way you get that is get real conviction from the Lord. Get burden in the place of prayer. And then be obedient to whatever he's asking you to do. Right? Yeah, amen. Yeah, that, that was the... The thing that was just coming to my mind too is that you know that the reality is that we're either an influencer or we're being influenced by yes by or someone else and so so you know in the place of prayer like be influenced by by the lord by the yeah word of god by the holy spirit let him speak to you and let that be the only influence that that then drives you or that then leads you forth and and then be, become an influencer like you know maybe you're not like a, a leader or like a you know like you said a title maybe you don't have any recognition of any kind of like leadership but really you know and then this is what i was thinking too kind of what you said when you boil down leadership and its simplicity it's basically just 
you know, direct people, you know, uh, influence people with whatever, whatever way that, that, that God has given you, whatever realm authority, you know, people in your life, just, you know, influence them towards the Lord, direct them towards yeah. the Lord to, 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 to look to him instead of themselves, you know, to look to God's wis- wisdom instead of their own or people's wisdom. And, you know, any, any moment you have, um, that, that is a, a good opportunity to invite people to pray with you, you know, invite yeah. people to just, just kind of bring people along with you in your pursuit of God and, 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 and don't even necessarily worry about trying to, to be a leader, but just kind of just take everyone with you into the presence of God. And it's, it's going to be amazing what the Lord does. That's mm-hmm. awesome, man. That's awesome. Chris, thanks so much for staying with us. We went a little bit long, but I appreciate you giving your time, um, you know, to care and, and have this discussion and just thanks for everything that you're doing on your campus and just seeking the kingdom of God and giving yourself in prayer and for being an inspiration, you know, to all the people around you at ASU. Just want to thank you so much, man. Yeah. Thank you, Dennis. And thanks for, thanks for having these, these conversations and just these times to really um, press in and to be able to, to hear the hard truth, you know, and just to be able to just say the things that, that, you know, just to speak the word of God without, compromise and with boldness and conviction and i just appreciate your heart and just your faithfulness and in serving the body of christ and yeah just thank you for for uh, having me on the show with you amen thanks